Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. I was a uh, barber for a m- number of years before, uh, about two years ago, I started working here at the church um, full time. I still kind of do the barbering thing. I just cut Jared's hair right before. What do you guys think? Yeah. I think he's looking really nice. And uh, so I was a barber for about five years at a barbershop. And the barbershop that I worked at um, had a ton of, like, little kids that would come in with their parents. Uh, The craziest week was, like, back-to-school week. So the the week leading up to uh, everyone going back to school at the end of summer was so hectic. I would do, like, 30 haircuts a day for six days straight, like, like nearly 200 haircuts in a week. Uh, which is a lot of like 15 to 20 minute conversations uh, with people. And uh, the, the parents would bring their young kids in, and it was always a mom bringing the young kids uh, to get their haircut, showing me pictures of like David Beckham or Brad Pitt or Patrick Mahomes. It was like a mom coming in with like their young blonde headed son, if you know what I mean and is showing me a picture of Patrick Mahomes. And I'm like, I'll do my best. Um, Or the best, this is completely unrelated, but a guy who had like four hairs on the top of his head showed me this like picture of David Beckham, like on the red carpet, just looking like a hunk. And I'm like, I'll make the back of your head look like what I'm assuming the back of his head looks like, because that's about the only place you have hair. But moms would bring their, their young kids in all the time. Um, and they would sit them down in the classic mom line. I'm sure your mom, if you're a, a young boy, who's, sorry, whose mom still tells the barber what kind of haircut uh, you want? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like, it's like he wants this. Uh, the classic mom line is, is just cut it short. My son's hair grows so fast. It's like every mom is like, just cut it short. My son's hair grows so fast. The ironic thing, though, is that the shorter you cut your hair, the more frequently you need a haircut, because the quicker it seems to be overgrown. Hold down the back of your head, young men. The shorter you cut your hair, the quicker you need a haircut, because, for instance, let's just say, imagine, Ninja got a low taper fade. Down to the skin. (laughs) Can you imagine that? If Ninja got a low taper fade. Down to the skin. If it was all the way bald, then the haircut would be grown out in about two weeks because it's doubled in length. No longer looks like a fade, just looks like a Lego man haircut. But... If you grow your hair out long, you can go months and months without ever noticing a difference. And if you ever tried to grow your hair out long from short, then I'm sure you've spent a lot of time in what society has deemed the awkward phase, where it's just like this awkward, overgrown buzz cut, which is where I apparently just continue cutting my hair to. I'm like, I've had the eternal awkward face haircut. And it's just like overgrown and weird, and you're like, is it growing? I feel like it stopped growing. Like, when's it going to be long? And then if you've grown your hair out, like one day you look at yourself, and you like look gorgeous. And you're like, oh, I have long hair now. And, um, but you kind of get stuck in, in, in the awkward phase. 
And for many of us in our relationship with Jesus, I'm sure we've experienced a similar thing, where we started coming to church, and we've grown a lot. We started coming to church, and our kind of circle of friends changed. Our, our desires or our goals, our ambitions changed. Maybe we experienced when we first started coming to church like great peace in our life or, or great direction in our life. We felt like every time I, I came to church, God was speaking to me and God was moving. And then you entered the awkward phase and you kind of feel stuck. And now you're like, I'm not growing very quickly if I'm even growing at all. And you look at your life and you're like, Is, am I growing with Jesus? Or am I just in, in the awkward phase? My message title tonight is Why You Feel Stuck. Why You Feel Stuck. I think some of us in this room might feel stuck in, in their relationship with God tonight. And I'm going to be looking at Psalm 23 to in, hopefully encourage you out of that feeling of being stuck from the scriptures. But before we get into it, this psalm was written by King David, who is the second king in the land of Israel. He, he is uh, probably one of the most famous characters in the Bible, and he's writing this passage of Scripture towards the end of his life as he's reflecting back on God throughout his life. King David is an interesting character because the moment we meet him in the pages of Scripture, we're told that, that he is faithful to God. He, ha he has a relationship with God from the moment we meet him, and he is, he, is, uh, he is faithful to God throughout the duration of his whole life. The interesting thing is that King David experienced tremendous highs and tremendous lows in his life. Some of the highs being he was anointed king at a very young age. He was promoted within the palace to be the chief musician. He slayed Goliath. He conquered uh, a ton of land, including the, the Philistines with his mighty men. He brought the ark back into Israel. The ark represented the very presence of God. He, he set up a musical system of worship within the priesthood, which paved the way for worship as we know it today. He was patient with the promises of God. He was appointed the patriarch over the kingdom of Israel, and he was even promised that the Messiah would come through his bloodline. He wrote songs and poems that would become the songbook of followers of God for the rest of history. But he also experienced tremendous lows. The day that he was appointed king, he was forgotten about by his family out in the field for when the prophet came to anoint a new king. Before he became king, he was hunted by his father-in-law, who was the king before him. He had enemies and countries all around him who wanted him dead. He, he made mistakes like committing adultery with Bathsheba and killing Uriah. He had familial chaos that caused a split in the nation within his own family. He had tremendous highs and he had tremendous lows. But despite the highs and the lows of David's life, we're told in the scriptures in both the Old Testament and the New Testament that David was a man after God's own heart. And I can't help but imagine that through his life, there were times where he felt stuck in his relationship with God. I'm sure as he was on mountaintop experiences, he was thinking, I can't imagine God doing anything better than this. I can't imagine God doing anything better than appointing me king or, 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 or 
uh, ushering in the ark and his presence in the center. And I can't imagine him, uh, and I can imagine him thinking at the tremendous lows, I can't imagine God forgiving me of this. I can't imagine God getting me through this. David was a man with, who went through tremendous highs and lows just like we do. And I imagine that he felt stuck in his life. But at the end of his life, he's looking back on who God was in his life. And he writes this, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What we're going to do tonight is we're going to move line by line through this poem written by King David, and we're going to address some reasons why I think that you might feel stuck in your relationship with God, and how this passage of scripture written by a faithful follower of God at the end of his life might be able to encourage you out of it. Does this sound okay? We're going to try to move pretty quick, so listen quickly, okay? One, you might feel stuck because you think you care more about you than God does. You might feel stuck because you think that you care more about you than God does. David writes the opening line of this passage. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, for David, this is a very important idea. David was a shepherd when he was a young boy. In fact, when uh, the prophet came to appoint him as king, he was out in the field with his sheep, actively shepherding sheep. And so this idea would be very important to him. Now, for us, we don't really come in contact with shepherds. Maybe that's someone's last name of someone that we know. Um, but apart from that, we don't have any experience with sheep or with shepherds, and neither do I. So I did some Google researching. And in my Google researching, I found out that sheep are really funny creatures. In one of the articles that I was, I was reading, the author of it said that they were inclined to say that they don't think that sheep could survive without a shepherd or an animal to look after them. Meaning they, they can't survive on their own. Like evolution forgot about sheep, for all you evolution people. Um, a big, fluffy, like docile and confused animal. In another article that I was reading, they said that, that sheep have no internal leadership. They don't operate in any sort of rank. They just follow whoever is in front of them. And, and they said if a sheep were to walk off a cliff, the whole flock would just follow, not thinking that they can stop themselves. That's what the article said. That's psychotic. It's crazy. And so the sheep need a shepherd. And a shepherd's responsibility is to guide the sheep, to direct the sheep, and to protect the sheep. And David, at the end of his life, he's looking back and he makes the claim that the Lord, that God, was the shepherd. God was the one who directed him. 
and protected him and guided him, the one that supplied for him, the one that was always there and that truly cared for him. And David is writing this from his own experience. But in Jesus, in his life and ministry, he would actually make the declaration in John chapter 10 saying this, I am the good shepherd. Jesus says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Peter, a New Testament author and disciple of Jesus, he says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. He says, by his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Jesus is the shepherd, the the leader, the protector, the guider of your life that your souls are desperately looking for. See, we think that we can lead our life and guide our life because we care for ourselves. But let me tell you this, that, that God cares for you. He created you. We're told in the scriptures that he formed you in your mother's womb. He knows the hairs on your head. He has a jar filled with your tears. <laughs> he cares. He gave his life for you so that you may live in righteousness instead of your own sin. He has a plan for your life and a good plan with your best interests in mind. He knows you, and even with all that he knows about you, he still chooses to love you. One pastor says this, he knows you to the bottom of your soul, but he loves you to the top of the sky. God cares for you way better than you could ever care for yourself. Now, the second reason that you might feel stuck is that you think you can find better somewhere else. You think you can find better somewhere else. Look at what David writes. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He says, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside still waters, and he leads me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Some of the deepest desires for us as people are a desire for rest, the desire of hunger, the desire of thirst, and then the desire for direction of our life. I feel like those are probably the four biggest desires for people. It's like, I need to know when I can sleep, when I can eat, when I can take a drink, and what on earth I need to do with my life. (laughs) It's probably the four most important desires that a a human person can experience. And what David says is that God led him into all of those things. He says, he makes me lie down, he supplies rest. He says, he brings me to the pastures where where my hunger is satisfied. He leads me beside still waters where my thirst is quenched. And he leads me into the way of righteousness. He gives direction for my life. And David, again, he is writing this from experience, but it is also a prophetic word of who Jesus is. Because Jesus would say when he was here, he said, come to me 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Jesus would say that I am the bread of life. He supplies our our need of hunger. He would say that if you drink of the water that he provides, it's living water. You'll never thirst again. And he said that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We can search high and low to find satisfaction in any area, but Jesus claims, and and David has said to experience, that God can provide even the deepest desires that we face in our life. God desires all of the deepest desires. The rest you are looking for is is found in, in assurance of who Jesus says that you are. The rest isn't found at the end of a day or when you've accomplished something in your future or when you get a good night's sleep or when you make enough money, but true rest is found in assurance of Jesus. The fullness you desire is not found in a full schedule or a full snap inbox or a full bank account, but found in partaking of relationship with the bread of life. The thirst that, you w- that won't be quenched in pleasure or relationships or entertainment or success will only be found in the living water of God's spirit in your life. Confidence in the next step of your life won't be found in a detailed five-year plan, but in trusting in Jesus, who is the way to God and the way of life, the starter and the sustainer of our life as he is actively speaking, directing, and guiding you. Let me tell you this, that God satisfies your deepest needs. God satisfies your deepest needs. Point number three, you guys feeling all right? You might feel stuck. Anybody remember the you might be a redneck thing? (laughs) Shane does. (laughs) Well, you might be a redneck if you think that because of difficulty, God is not there. You may think that because of difficulty, God is not there. David writes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The the reality is is that life is, is really hard. Life, life is difficult, and it just, it just, no breaks, no breaks in life. You just keep going. Like, a day ends, and then there's another one. You know what I mean? Sleep, it's not the break, at least for me lately, doesn't feel like a break. It's like, I've been sleeping probably four hours on average each night for probably the past two years. But I'm doing great, you guys. I've just decided that I don't need it. (laughs) We we, we face tremendous and routine difficulty. We face difficulty in in relationship with with friendships or with family uh, that that cause us to just feel alone or frustrated or, or sad or whatever. We face personal difficulty with our emotions like anxiety or depression or even sin in our life or doubts or circumstances or fears that cause us to feel like we're, we're just drowning in a wave of difficulty. We're unable to catch air or to get our footing in life because life is just pretty hard. I, I feel like you go through middle school and you're like, life's going to be easy when I get to high school and it's hard. Then you graduate and you're like, this is hard too. And then you're an adult and it's, and it's difficult. 
And sometimes we convince ourselves because of the difficulties that we face in life that, that God is not near, so we are facing difficulties. And if only God was a bit closer, if only God was a bit more present in my life, then life would, would be easier. Or, or maybe I'm doing something wrong and I can't get close enough to God and so I'm suffering the consequences of me not being close enough to God and, and so my life is difficult. And, and some of us, I, I don't know if we'd ever say that, but we kind of live that way and we often approach God that way. Like, maybe once I get a little better, then God, God can help me. Or, or maybe we're frustrated with God. God, where are you? My life is hard. You're nowhere, you're nowhere near. It's similar to the situation in John chapter 9 and verse 1. It says this, as he went along, he saw a man who was blind from birth. His disciples asked him, he said, they said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born blind, suffering a, a great difficulty in life. But Jesus, he, he says that this difficulty was not due to the fact that he made some sort of mistake, or he sinned, or he was distant from God in fact, it actually provided a way to display his presence and provision in his life. See, difficulty or darkness does not mean that you are distant from the presence or the promises of God. It, in fact, it actually means you might be kind of close. As the disciples were in a boat uh, during a storm, Jesus was there. Jesus promises, the scriptures promise that God is, is close to the brokenhearted. Jesus, he reaches down and he heals this blind man. And David says that even though he walks through the darkest of valleys, God is there with him. And so sometimes we might convince ourselves that, that we're going through difficulty because God's nowhere near or we're not close enough to God and so difficulty is in our life when in reality, in our most tremendous difficulty, God's desire is to show you that he is there with you, he's protecting you, and he can lead you out. Jesus would say, don't be surprised when you face difficulties in the world. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And we need to lean into the presence of God even in our most difficult situations because God is near. Point number four, you might feel stuck because you don't know how to handle correction. Can I get an amen? Uh, a couple months or a couple years ago, I was in a meeting uh, with, with Nate and uh, we're, we're talking about, about something and we're with another person and uh, after the meeting, you know, the, the other people left, and I just kind of lingered around. And then I said to Nate, like, man, you know, that, that person was really just like, I feel like they were saying this, like, kind of rude to me in this way, and they were kind of ignoring me in this way. And Nate kind of just listened. And he goes, yeah, I was sitting right there. That didn't happen. He's like, you're wrong. I was like, oh. He's like, He's like, things have been kind of awkward lately. It seems like you might be looking for trouble. <laughs> fully corrected me. Fully rebuked me. Ears got so hot. I was like, oh! Dif like, correction is difficult. It's like, 
It's like, hey, you should have turned there. Oh, no. I got my secret way. <laughs> you don't know about it. I, I know how to do it. it, it like, cor- correction is difficult. Correction from God is also very difficult. David, what he writes, he says that in the darkest valleys, you are with me. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff used by a shepherd would have two uh, primary roles. It would be used to protect the sheep, and they would be used to correct the sheep. If the sheep were walking astray, the, the staff would bring them in. If they were doing something wrong, the rod of correction would strike them. And sometimes you need to be corrected by God. And honestly, sometimes the darkest valleys that you walk through are often self-inflicted. You're lonely because you don't open up to people. You're anxious because you're constantly intaking information and you have no discipline on your healthy thought patterns. You're ashamed because we don't take any action to protect ourselves from giving in to temptation, but we make sure to beat ourselves up after we give in. Sometimes we need to be corrected by God. And sometimes we need to listen to the voice of correction in our life. If you have a thought, maybe I shouldn't do this, it's not good, you should listen. Because if you... If you do something wrong, you suffer consequences. And so often there is a voice within ourselves that is correcting us and guiding us as the Spirit of God convicts us to not do things and and we don't listen. We tend to hate correction. We like to justify our actions so that people know where we're coming from. But But what if we allowed God to redirect our life and to correct us? When we feel the conviction in our body that we shouldn't be do, something, do something, we listen. When we make a mistake, we admit that we're wrong and we move forward trusting that God is faithful and just to forgive us. God loves you so much that he's willing to correct you. God loves you too much to just let you do whatever you want with no guidance, with no correction, with no leading you. You might feel stuck because you don't know how to take correction. Your ears get too hot. Point number five you might feel stuck because you're just out of shape. You're just out of shape, man. <laughs> David says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. For some of us, we've experienced the presence of God so clearly throughout our life. Maybe you live in a wonderful, godly home. Maybe God has delivered you out of loneliness and into friendships. Maybe you've experienced God's comfort in difficulty or his peace during anxiety. Or maybe you have confidence in in a direction for your future as you seeked God and prayed and he answered. And and when you believe in him, your sins, they're forgiven and you are accepted and adopted into God's family. We've all experienced the, the work of God in our life in one way or another, but sometimes we feel stuck thinking that God only wanted to do that one thing in our life, or that he, he used to speak to me, but now he's really quiet, or the things that I used to do to hear from God don't seem to be working anymore, so we just feel stuck and we feel a bit bloated and whatever. 
But maybe you need to allow, like David, the, the blessing of God's anointing on your life to actually drip off of you and overflow into the lives of other people. But David, what he says is that he is anointed. The head of David is anointed with the presence of God and with the blessing of God. And it, it overflows. And then he says that goodness and mercy now follow him wherever he goes. That the anointing of God is overflowing out of his own life and into the lives of others. I picture it like a slug. The, the oil of God is, is dripping off David, and wherever he walks, there's a trail of the oil of God. This is like the trail of, of the characteristics of God from where he went. The, the goodness of who God is, is it's behind him. It, it, he's, he's leaving it. Now, it, it definitely means that God's goodness and mercy is hunting him down, but I think it also means that the goodness and mercy that God has shown him is actually trailing behind him. And so we, who have, I'm sure, in one way or another, have experienced the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God in our lives, we need to take the next step in allowing the anointing that God has poured onto us to actually overflow out of us into the lives of the people around us. Now, I understand that that's very easy to say and it's very difficult to do, so here's a couple ideas. You can talk openly about what God has done and is doing in your life with anyone who will listen. You don't need to, to even read the Bible. Your life is a living gospel that is proclaiming the truths of who God is. Just as David, he just wrote, the Lord is my shepherd. He provided for me. He satisfied me. He led me. He corrected me. He directed me. And here, just from David talking about it, we can be blessed by it. Talk openly. Be present enough in people's lives to where you have a voice to speak into theirs. Be aggressive in looking for opportunities to share your faith, but sensitive in what you say and how you say it. Wear your life honestly with people close to you and share the good and the difficult things you experience in your life, always pointing them back to Jesus. I think if we just made it a point to wear our life openly and honestly with the people around us, that would be a, a, a tremendous win for the kingdom of God. As you, you talk about your struggles with God and your victories with God and even personal or relationship, relational, and just how God is present in your life, I think that would do tremendous things in telling people who God is. We got one more. Are you guys still with me? Having fun? Cool. You don't realize that life with God means your whole life. Now, a couple weeks ago, I talked about the importance of living a life that is faithful to who God is. Um, but David is, is such an interesting character because in this psalm, at the end of his life, he, he makes this, this declaration that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He makes this declaration and this commitment because being in God's house requires a commitment to not be found in other places. Being in God's house requires a commitment to not be found in other places. Now, Psalm 27, which is believed to be written much earlier in David's life, he writes this verse. One thing 
that I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David, when he was a younger man, he made the same decision to be found in the house of God forever. And he even wrote ways that are very practical to ensure that at the end of his life, he is found in the house of God. First, he says that I want to be in the house of God. Now, David specifically is talking about the tabernacle here, which is uh, David's time. It's the congregation of God's people. It's the tent where the presence of God was. It was the place of worship. It's essentially David is saying that he wants to live in the church. He's like, I, I, I just want to, there's another psalm where he talks about wishing that he could just sleep at church. He just never wants to leave church. He, he wants to be there, but he, he wants to be found in the assembly of God's people. But he also says that he wants to see, to gaze upon the beauty of God. He wants to see the beauty of God's character and person in every aspect of his life. He wants to be able to see where God is working and how God is working no matter where he is, whether he's at church or not. And he says that he wants to inquire in his temple or in increase in knowledge of who God is. This is a great desire that we can adopt on our own because when you can't see the beauty of God around you or see the presence of God around you, you should hold on to what you already know about God. You should remember what God has done in your life and who God is and if you can't recall who God is or what he's done, you should be found in the assembly of God's people that can push you into remembering the character of God and the presence of God in your life. He, David, he says, there's one thing that I want to do. There's one desire that I have. There's one thing that I ask, and that is that I would be found in the presence of God, in the house of God. How am I going to do that? I want to be around godly people, I'm going to have eyes that see the beauty of God in my life, and I'm going to have a desire to know more about God and to remember who he is. He, he, he makes this commitment to, to follow God, to be near God. You may feel stuck in your life because you think that you care more about you than God does. Let me tell you, God cares about you. You might feel stuck because you think you'll find what you're looking for somewhere else, but only God can satisfy the deepest desires of the human soul. You think that you're stuck because you're facing difficulty and God's not there, but God is near. He's near the brokenhearted. He is the one who calms the storms. He puts the storms of life underneath his feet. Maybe you can't handle direction, but God's correction actually provides great comfort in your life. Maybe you're out of shape, but God fills you to overflowing and actually sets you on a path to exercise it out of you. And you don't understand that life with God means your whole life, but God is always there and he always wants to lead you. So my question is, Who's shepherding your life? Worship team, you guys can come up here. Who's shepherding your life? Be honest with it. Because what David says is that the Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. Now, if we're being led or guided by a lesser shepherd, we can't make that same claim that we shall not want. That's a claim that can only be be following the statement that God is our shepherd, that Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading and directing our life. So who's shepherding you? Are you shepherding you? Are you the one who who is, is, is leading you in your life and directing you and protecting you and correcting you? Are, are you the one? Is it social media? Is it random people on TikTok that are telling you that this is what you should live for? This is what life is about. This is what you should look like by the time you're 21. You should be waking up at four in the morning. You should be investing in the stock market. You should be having two side hustles, no real jobs, still live at your parents, but start a clothing line out of your parents' basement. Are, are you fall, are, are, have you fallen into like the cultural norm that, that you're just going to lead your own way, you're going you're to follow your own heart, you're going to just do you, you're going to speak your truth, and, and all of that? Let me tell you, if you follow that way, you will be left wanting. Because only the good shepherd can satisfy all the needs. Only the good shepherd can, can provide the direction and the satisfaction and the correction in your life. And Jesus, he makes it very simple to, have, to, to join in to the flock of God. We're told in the scriptures that you just believe. Just believe in Jesus. Believe that, that his death on the cross, it, it covers your sin, and now you have right standing in relationship with God, and then also believing that relationship with God it is what satisfies. Relationship with God is what satisfies. 